We're into week three of our series that Christmas isn't canceled. And uh, although sometimes it may seem like it, I know the government has, has suggested we don't gather and, or gather just with our little households. I know in our house, the Christmas lights on the tree didn't come on the other day, and so I declared that Christmas was in fact canceled, but it's not canceled, actually. Through this series, we've been looking at some familiar Advent passages, and we will continue to for this week and next week and Christmas Eve as well. And I've also been kind of guided by Tim Keller's book, Hidden Christmas, which I, I can't recommend enough. It's, it's fantastic. A couple of weeks ago, we opened the series saying that to, to understand Christmas is to understand basic Christianity. It's to, it's to understand the gospel. And so in a sense, this series reminds us of the, the basic foundations of the Christian faith. And we're looking at some of the core beliefs that Christians have held for the past 2,000 years. In our first week, we opened up and we looked back to Isaiah's prophecy uh, that there was a light coming into the darkness. We were in Isaiah chapter 9 there. We talked about humanity's need for someone to come from outside of the world, to come into the world to rescue it. We also really quickly looked at those four titles from Isaiah 9 verses 6 and 7 that, that, that were given to Jesus, that have been made famous maybe especially by Handel's Messiah, which again, we, we hear on the radio this time of year. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and, and Prince of Peace. Uh, there's another little book that uh, Pastor J.D. Greer put out called Searching for Christmas, and he kind of takes a deep dive into each of these four. Uh, it's about 65 pages or so, and I highly recommend it. It's, it's a quick read, it's, a, it's an easy read, and it's a really accessible uh, kind of unpacking of those four titles. So have a look for that one as well. It's called Searching for Christmas. That week, too, we were reminded that, that the the gift of Christmas is Jesus himself. Remember the, the prophet says, for, for to us a child is born, for to us a son is given. It's a gift. Last week we, we turned to the beginning of Matthew's gospel in chapter 1, and we, we noticed a few things from Jesus' genealogy. Remember we said that in those days the genealogy was like your resume. It kind of shows where you came from. It shows what's in your past, which would then maybe define what's in your future. And in that genealogy, we kind of specifically keyed in on, on five mothers of Jesus. We looked at, at Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, and also Mary. And what we said by looking into this genealogy was that Matthew was doing a, at least a couple of things for us, but several for sure. The two that we really looked at was he was showing us that all are invited into Jesus' family. We saw the disaster and dysfunction of, of, of his roots, of Jesus' roots, of the family that had come down to him. The other thing that we're seeing Matthew do here is he's, he's rooting the story of Jesus in history. Remember, we talked about stories and fables and how we, those are pointing us towards the true story, the gospel story. And we said what Matthew's doing here isn't just giving us another myth or another fable to keep us through uh, another cold winter, but rather he's grounding his gospel in history. Now this morning, we're going to continue and read the, the second half, the, the last half or so of, of chapter 1 in Matthew. So if you have a Bible, you can open up there to Matthew 1, 18 to 23. And as, as uh, Warren read, we'll come back to some of these things in, in later weeks as well. But the, one of the key things that we want to see this morning is that uh, we're going to see Jesus is God, uh, Jesus is human, and Jesus is with us. We're going to pull that out of these verses this morning. So let's jump in. 
Uh, Last week, I challenged you, especially as we head into the new year and and New Year's resolutions and these things are coming up, I I challenged you to, to read through the Bible and look for the promises that God made and God fulfilled because they're everywhere. And also look for promises that God has made for those who follow him and write those down because we can cling to those. And so this week, maybe I want to add to that challenge a little bit. I don't know if you've got a, a, you know, a regular routine or discipline of Bible reading, but uh, take some time and, and read through the Gospels. There's about 90 chapters in our four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And uh, so if you read about one chapter a day, you could read the Gospels four times in a year. So I'll just, just throw that out there. But as you, as you read the Gospels, start to look for all the ways and all the times that Jesus declares that he is God. Or the writers tell us that Jesus is God, because that's really significant. And again, there's going to be lots of them. There's going to be lots of examples of this. Contrary to what some people say, the the idea that Jesus is God wasn't just added into the text centuries later by a a church that was trying to make itself seem more relevant and powerful and, and meaningful, but this was a claim made right by Jesus himself, and it was a claim held by the early church right from the beginning, that Jesus is God. Now, Matthew, remember, when he was writing, his primary audience was the Jewish people. So a lot of what we find in his writings is is pointed directly to them, to their history. He's drawing the Old Testament into Jesus and into the New. And so when he is making this claim, he's telling it to his people. Jesus is God. Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. Pay attention to this. And again, we have two really clear instances where Matthew points to this in these couple of verses we read this morning. The first is that we have this account of the angel coming and telling Joseph, listen, the baby growing in Mary's womb, it's conceived by the Holy Spirit. That doesn't happen except for this one time. And the second is where we're going to, again, put our focus this morning. It comes down in verse 22 and 23. So let me read those for us again, where Matthew writes, all this took place, this whole interaction between Joseph and the angel All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now Joseph, as a Jew, would have have known that passage that's quoted here. We're we're reading Isaiah 7.14. The Jews expected another Redeemer to come. They they knew God would rescue them again. They expected this to happen. They they expected the rescuer to come and and free them from from the Romans, perhaps, free them from their their situation, and, and have God be with them again. But they weren't expecting this. They weren't expecting God literally coming, being born from a woman. Yet this is what the angel is telling Joseph, telling the Jews, that Jesus, the baby growing inside of Mary, is literally God. Now this idea, again, sounds kind of way out there, doesn't it? If you're maybe checking us out for the first time or investigating Christianity for the first time, uh, if this is the first you're hearing of this, it does sound kind of crazy, doesn't it? Well, let me assure you that no one in the first century was expecting this either. The Eastern religions, they, they see God as more of an impersonal force. So, so they could at least maybe fathom that, that some people might sort of manifest, might sort of show some divine attributes, but they wouldn't be God. 
The Western religions think, think the Greeks and the Romans of that day had, had multiple gods, but, but none of them were all-knowing. None of them were all-present. They could disguise themselves as humans for a time if they need be, and we have some evidence of that. In, in Acts 14, remember, Paul and, and Barnabas are talking, and the people hear what they said, and they say, these must be our gods. This must be Zeus and Hermes come to visit with us. And the Jewish understanding of God in that day uh, the understanding Jesus was born into was that God is both personal and infinite. But he's not a person within the universe. He's the one that created it. He's the one that has control over it. He's the one that, that held it all together and therefore transcended the universe. The Jews didn't really have a category in their worldview that allowed God to become human. They wouldn't spell or they wouldn't pronounce the name of their God. They wouldn't pronounce the name of Yahweh out of a distinct respect and an understanding of just how other God was to them. And yet, when we read the Gospels, we see that by his, his life, his teaching, his death, and his resurrection, Jesus convinced his closest Jewish friends and ultimately his family as well that he wasn't just another prophet come pointing the way to God, but that he was, in fact, God come to earth to rescue humanity from itself. Now again, just to be clear, Matthew's not the only one that teaches this. John, as we started studying the book of John here just before Christmas, John says that Jesus is the Word who was never created, who, was always, who had always existed, who had made everything and was God in John 1, 1 to 3. And then he came to dwell in the neighborhood with us. Paul, who was a, a Jew of Jews, trained by the best teachers and, and as, as zealous as anyone to uphold the Jewish faith, says that, that in Jesus, the fullness of God existed. And Peter writes to his his followers, his letters, and he says, through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. They saw Jesus as God. Now, of course, all of this would mean nothing if Jesus himself didn't have this view of himself, didn't view himself as also being God, but he did. Again, throughout the Gospels, as we read, Jesus forgives sin, which is something that only God can do. He claims that he will be coming back to judge the earth. That's something that only God can do. He says he has mutual knowledge with God. And he says once, before Abraham was, I am. Throughout the Gospels, in many times and many ways, Jesus says, I am God. Now, if you've been around church uh, at all, or have some sense of what, what Christians believe. You, you've probably heard this, that we believe Jesus is God. But what does that mean for us today, in the Bow Valley, across Alberta and Canada in 2020, that, that Jesus is God? Just a couple of points here, again, helped by, by Keller and his book. First is this, in, in, in Tim Keller's language, this is an intellectual watershed. And what he means is that so many other understandings of, of, of the gospel of Christianity hang on this, hang on Jesus being God. He says, probably mo the most significant of all the claims that Christianity makes is that the beginningless, omnipotent creator of the universe took on human nature without the loss of deity so that Jesus... The son of Joseph of Nazareth was both fully divine and fully human. Another writer, J.I. Packer, puts it this way. He says, God became man. 
the divine son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught like any other child. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the Incarnation. Now, lots of people may look at Christianity, may look at the Gospels and the stories found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and say, you know what, I just don't believe in miracles. I don't get how, how one person's death might wipe away the sin of billions of others of other people's, which are, are great questions and, and valid doubts to have. These things do seem impossible, don't they? But that is the definition of a miracle, isn't it? Something that is impossible by our human understanding. But Packer continues, and, and he argues that it's, it's from a misbelief or at least an inadequate belief about the incarnation, that, that Jesus, that God came to earth. It's from an inadequate belief in the incarnation that, that difficulties at other points of the gospel usually spring. But once we grasp that incarnation as a reality, these other difficulties dissolve. See, if, if we can, can grasp, even in a, a limited form, I don't know that we'll ever completely grasp all the implications of Jesus coming in and being man and God being man. But if he's God, why couldn't he do everything else? If he's got the fullness of God inside a human body, why couldn't he do things that only God can do? Why couldn't uh, nature respond to him when he says, be still and the storm stops? See, once we come to an understanding of the incarnation, of Jesus being both God and man, it becomes much easier to understand and believe the rest of the New Testament. The second thing is uh, Jesus being God and coming presents to us a personal crisis. Now, one definition of, of crisis is a stage in a sequence of events at which the trend of all future events, especially for better or worse, is determined. A crisis is a fork in the roads, as, as Robert Frost wrote. It's, it's two paths diverging in the woods. You can take one or you can take the other, but you can't stand there forever. And so claiming that Jesus Christ is God is exactly that. Again, as we read the Gospels, whenever we see people get a sense of who Jesus is by interacting with him, how do they respond? Uh, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, too. It seems that they very clearly recognize that this is a fork in the road moment in their lives. Some people are, are furious and they try to throw Jesus off a cliff. Some, like Peter, recognize Jesus being God and his own sinfulness and he just says, leave me, depart from me. I'm sinful and I, I cannot be in your presence. Some fall down and worship him. So why, why do we get such extreme reactions? Well, I think an answer, probably the answer is, if Jesus is who he says he is, then our entire lives need to be centered around him. If Jesus is God, come to earth, then we are responsible to, to conform to him, not to let him sort of fit into how we want it. The flip side, if he, if he isn't who he says he is, then he's not someone that we want to be around either, someone we should be running away from. 
again, Keller helpfully says, either Jesus is God or he isn't. So he's absolutely crazy or infinitely wonderful. Another implication of this, of, of Emmanuel, of God being with us, is that we have great hope. The hope of Christmas, the, the hope of Jesus, is that this world is not all that there is. The hope of Jesus is that there's, there's life and love that we will experience after a physical death. And the hope of Jesus is that one day evil and suffering will end. And this hope isn't just for the world in general and its problems, but it's, it's also the hope of, of you and me in spite of our failings. Again, Tim Keller helpfully says, a God who is, who is only holy would not have come down to us in Jesus Christ. He would have simply demanded that we pull ourselves together and that we be moral and holy enough to merit a relationship with him. And some deity that's just an all-accepting God of love would not have needed to come to earth either. This God of, of modern imagination would have just overlooked sin and evil and embraced us. But neither the God of moralism nor the God of relativism would have been bothered with Christmas. The biblical God, however, he says, is infinitely holy. And so our sin could not be shrugged off. It had to be dealt with. But he's also infinitely loving. He knows that, that we could never climb up to him, that we could never pull ourselves up to get to him. And so he has to come down to us. God had to come himself and do what we can't do ourselves. Christmas means that there is hope for every single one of us because God is with us. Now the idea that, that God is one of us is really unique in the history of all religions and philosophies. And as one writer says, Emmanuel means the ideal has become real. The absolute has become the particular and the invisible has become visible. The incarnation is the universe surrendering, history altering, life transforming, paradigm shattering event in history. That's what it means that God is with us. But two, we, we have to and we need to consider the flip side. It's one thing to consider the implications of Jesus being God, but, but what difference does it make to you and me today that Jesus was also fully human? Well, I think the first is this, that, that we can have our lives grounded as those that are, that are committed to serving others. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul famously wrote, this is chapter 2, starting at verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, those of you who follow Jesus. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Jesus set aside his glory that he rightly deserves and became like one of us. 
He could have come to earth with all the glitz and glamour of the world. I, I read one story where, where there was a family watching, I think it was a Super Bowl Sunday, and, and the Blue Angels acrobatic aircraft team was flying back and forth, and there was smoke everywhere, and there was bands everywhere, and then after the planes had gone by, they went somewhere and landed, and a helicopter flew the pilots in and landed center, center field, and, and the, 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 the pilots walked out to just thunderous applause of everyone in the, in the stadium. Jesus could have come like that, rightly so. But instead he came as a baby in some small nothing town to some unknown, unheard of poor couple. And he lived and he died humbly. For those of us who are following Jesus, that means we should reject our culture's notion of, of building ourselves up so much and trying to, to get all we can and boast in our own looks or position or accomplishments or wealth or whatever else it is. Again, J.I. Packer helpfully writes, For the Son of Man, the Son of God, to empty himself and become poor meant a laying aside of glory, a voluntary restraint of powers, and acceptance of hardship, isolation, ill-treatment, malice, and understanding. And finally, a death that involves such agony, spiritual even more than physical, that his mind nearly broke under the prospect of it. But it meant love to the uttermost for unlovely men and women. The Christmas spirit, he continues, does not shine out in the Christian snob, the Christmas spirit is the spirit of those who, like their master, live their whole lives on the principle of making themselves poor, spending and being spent to enrich their fellow humans, giving time, trouble, care, and concern to others, and not just their friends, in whatever way there seems need. God becoming one of us, just like Isaiah also wrote, one who, who had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, this is our example. Our example to, to love the least of these. The ones who need to know God's love. Not just those who can improve our own standing. Not just those who we can get something from. But to love everyone. Second, uh, Jesus being human means we can find comfort in our suffering. We talked about this a little bit in our first week with the title Jesus has of being Wonderful Counselor. The writer of, of Hebrews reminds us in chapter 2 that Jesus is like us in every way and, and because he himself suffered when he was tried and tested, he is able to help those who are being tried and tested. Anyone feel this season that they're being tried and tested? There's, there's uh, more maybe burdens and weights on our shoulders than, than before? This is, this is the truth for, for me anyways. It's become a little bit more and more clear these past weeks and months that, that Jesus experienced all the things that you and I do, the, the highs and lows, the, the company and the isolation, the love, but also the abandonment. Jesus being one of us means that he's always like us. Like David wrote in Psalm 23, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what does he say? You are with me. In this COVID time where once again for us gatherings are restricted, I think we'll need to cling to this even more. That Jesus is with you and he will comfort you. Your rod and staff, they comfort me, like David says in Psalm 23 as well. 
The incarnation that, that Jesus became human like us also means that he suffered. Uh, and not just that, but he also overcame that suffering so that he now has an infinite power to comfort all of us who are suffering. See, Christmas and Christianity says that, that God has been all the places you've been. He's been in the darkness that you're in now, and, and therefore we can trust him. And we can rely on him because he knows what we're going through, and he has the power to, to comfort and strengthen and carry us through it. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is like us. Off the top, I said there, there's three ideas in this, this name, Emmanuel, which means God with us, that, that Jesus is God, and we looked at that, that, that Jesus is human, and we just looked at that. And the last is that, that he is with us. And I think this might be one of those things that, that we, we don't ever let sink in enough. Maybe it never actually is enough, but that Jesus came to be with us. Again, can, if you are familiar with the gospel, consider the gospels. Consider the beginning of, of Mark where, where Jesus chooses 12 disciples to be with him. What does, that, what does that mean? What do we see in the chapters that follow of these disciples who are now with Jesus? What does it look like? Well, they, they did everything with him. They walked with him. They ate with him. They, they watched him teach and heal and pray and feed people and care for people. They were with him all the time. And as we read, we, we see them learning from him, sometimes learning really slowly. We see them asking him questions. Jesus, you just told this parable. I don't get it. What, what, are, you, what are you talking about? What does this mean? They're in a, a relationship with Jesus. They're in a, in a relationship with God himself. That's what it means to be with Jesus. Again, if you're familiar with the Bible, if we look before Jesus, if we look into the Old Testament, when people come into the presence of God or when, when God makes himself known, what kind of pictures do we see? How does God appear to his people in the Old Testament? We see him as you know, a pillar of fire to Israel walking through the desert. Job experiences him as a hurricane or a tornado. Uh, in, in Exodus, Moses asks God, God, I just want to see your face. I want to be with you. I want to experience your presence. And God said, if you see me, it will kill you. You cannot behold all that I am. And so he got to see just his back. And when Moses came down the mountain after being in the presence of God for 40 days, remember what it says in Exodus? It says that his, his face shone so bright as it reflected the glory of God that, that people couldn't even look at him. He had to wear a veil. Now imagine Moses, after experiencing that, drops into the first century after Jesus has lived and died and, and gone back to be with the Father. And he heard the Christmas message today that the word became flesh and dwelt among us or, or moved into the neighborhood. He would be so pumped. This is, this is exactly what he wanted, but he was denied back then. Again, Tim Keller says, why would God come this time in the form of a baby rather than, rather than a firestorm or the whirlwind? It's because at this time he's come not to bring judgment, but to bear it, to shoulder the judgment, to pay the penalty for our sins, to take away the barrier between humanity and God so that we can be together because Jesus is God with us. 
The incarnation didn't happen, he says, merely to let us know that God exists. It happened to bring him near so that he can be with us and we can be with him. Millions of people every Christmas sing, Jesus, our Emmanuel. But are they really with him? Do they, do they know him or do they just know about him? He reminds us that Jesus literally moved heaven and earth to get near us. And so what should we be doing now to be truly with him? Because Emmanuel, Jesus, with us. It's a great question that we all need to wrestle with. If, if Jesus came to be with us, what does that mean for us now to be with him? If, if you've got the comment section open on your Facebook feed, drop some of those in there for me. Drop some thoughts in there for me. In some ways, I think our relationship being with Jesus is the same as any meaningful relationship that we have. We, we need to spend time together. We need to, to talk to one another. We need to be open and authentic with one another. Being with Jesus isn't just dropping Lord help me's when we hit traffic or the, the train crossing arms go down as we're trying to get across town. Being with Jesus isn't just saying thank you Jesus for this food and then diving into our meals. But it means being aware that he is with you always and also enjoying his presence. It's, it's sharing and, and unloading on him the good things and the hard. It's, it's crying out when you don't understand. It's, it's, it's handing off your burdens to him to help so that he will help you shoulder the load. We read that uh, last week, that, that Jesus brings us rest. He he's comes says, you know, come anyone who is weary or heavy burden, take my yoke upon you and I will, I'll help you shoulder that load. It's speaking to him. It's, it's being in, in, a, in a state of more and more and constant prayer. This last month or so, I, I've been pouring through the Psalms kind of repeatedly. And this is, it's, it's a really a, a beautiful collection, the Psalms are, of, of every emotion known to humankind poured out to God. If you don't know how to express yourself to Jesus as we want to develop our relationships with him, start in the Psalms. See how David does it. See how the kings do it. See how the church has done it for thousands of years. Similarly, the letters of Paul are just filled with some really great prayers. Sometimes we maybe don't know how to pray for one another, but start at the beginning of Paul's letters, and he says, here's how I'm praying for you. They're just stunning prayers. We could be with Jesus as we pray those things for others too. But being with him doesn't just mean we talk at him or talk to him or pray to him or, or hand these things. It also means that, that he speaks to us. How does Jesus speak to us? That also, if this is your maybe first time at a, uh, hearing this, it might sound a little bit odd. But Jesus speaks primarily to us through the Bible. Sure, he can speak through a song and through a songwriter. Surely he can speak through someone else. And, and surely he can speak through our thoughts or our conscience or, or even with an audible voice. But the primary way that God communicates with us, the primary way that Jesus speaks to us today is through the Bible. Charles Spurgeon, uh, the one that was called the Prince of Preachers from a couple centuries ago, says, you know, visit other books, but, but live in the Bible. I think that's, that's the, the challenge for, for many of us maybe is to, you know, all of these new books are being released and I don't know about you, but I enjoy uh, reading and, and collecting books and just pouring through these things and new ideas and new ways. But, but if we do that at the ne neglect of our Bibles, that's a, that's a big problem. If we avoid reading the Bible, 
we do so at our own peril. As the Holy Spirit, he's constantly speaking to us through it. I can't tell you how many times, even, even recently I've had where, where I've been talking with someone or, or, or reading something familiar, some common verses, like maybe these Advent ones or maybe Psalm 23. But in that season, in that moment, something new jumped out from that passage that maybe hadn't impacted me the way before. Maybe it was God saying, you know, surely goodness will follow you through all the days of your life from Psalm 23. And maybe we, we lean on the Lord as my shepherd, but we forget that last piece. So we've got to, got to, got to be in our Bibles because that's how Jesus speaks to us as well. Listen, as, as, we, as we wrap up, I know that, that this Christmas is going to look really different and, and our house is wrestling with what that's going to look like. We didn't have big grand plans, but the plans we did have are canceled. Christmas isn't canceled though. But Christmas, again, it, it's, it's not canceled. Our gatherings might be or they'll look different. They'll be over Zoom instead of in the living room together. But Christmas still remembers. Christmas still celebrates. And Christmas still causes us to, to come to the terms or come to terms with the words that the prophet spoke so many years ago. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So let's remember Jesus is God. Jesus is human, and Jesus is with us. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for these uh, maybe familiar words, maybe they're words we've heard for the first time. I pray that uh, we wouldn't wrap up in a couple of minutes here and, and close our computers or turn off the TV and, and just carry on as, as we were, but that you would change us that you would affect something in our hearts that, that reminds us and, and helps us to understand in a deeper way, Jesus, that, that you are fully God, you are fully human, and you are with us. I thank you for this time, for this word, and, and, and I pray that it would not be one that slips out of our minds soon, but that it would it resonate through us for these next few weeks as we head into Christmas. We pray all this in Jesus' good name. Amen.